0: In this morning, um, we're continuing this series called "Having a Healthy Soul." Right, starting the new year, talk a lot about healthy bodies, but what does it look like to have a healthy soul? And as we wrestle with that, and um, we've talked about a lot of different things, because at the end of the day, we don't want to be people who have been following Jesus for 15 years, but yet have one year of experience, right? where we get in the rut of doing the same things over and over and over again. So today, the words we're going to be talking about are spiritual maturity, right? And what does that look like? And how do we live out spiritual maturity? And what does that look like in our lives? So I had this little encounter with my little nine-year-old guy this week that um, I thought was a really good glimpse into this. And I want to tell you about it a little bit this morning as we get started. So my wife's been up in Birmingham at the hospital this week and um, getting some tests done. She's all great. Everything's good. Just kind of routine stuff. And she was up there and... That meant I had my kids, my three older ones, which meant, of course, somebody was going to get sick, all right? And so one night, my Owen gets sick, and um, he's nine, and so he ends up having to stay home from school the next day. And so we're kind of walking through the day, figuring things out. And I had this one phone call that was scheduled, and it's kind of a, you know, sensitive phone call things. And I told him, I said, Owen, I said, bro, listen, I just need this phone call. Like, you just got to stay out of here. I said, go make yourself some lunch. You can have anything in the kitchen you want, like Fruity Pebbles, eat them, whatever, like just Take care of yourself, all right, buddy. And he's like, I said, just just nothing else. Just don't interrupt me on this phone call. You got it? He's like, got it. He didn't get it. Okay. So like, I'm on this phone. Like two minutes in, he's like knocking on the door. He's like, hey, just real quick. And I was like, nope, nope, like nope. And you know, and then he's like comes back like two minutes later, and he's like, hey. And I was like, bro, like I just need like 15 minutes here. You know, come on. And so then he comes back in, and this person's talking to me. And I'm like, just so I kind of just mute him. You know how you do that? And you're like, you could tell they were on a roll. So I was like, I got just one second here. I was like, what? He goes, lunch is like really black. He goes, and the plate exploded. (laughs) And I was like, what? Like I was like, just eat something else. And in my head, I'm like, what even happens, right? (laughs) And so I come out. Right, and I I walk out into the microwave, and I open it up, and I'm like looking at this massacre scene right here, and so I'm looking at this thing, and he's sitting over on the island, right, and this is this is the maturity part, okay, and he's just reading this book, and he's just sitting there, and I was like, Owen, like what happened? And he he just sits up, reading this book. He looks up, just zero stress, zero anxiety, zero fault, like nothing. He goes. I don't know. I just put it in there for 10 minutes. <laughs> and he just like starts reading the book again. And I was like, well, buddy, like 30 seconds probably would have been fine. And he goes, huh, all right. And he goes, can I make some more? And I was like, yeah. And he just jumps up and he walks over, gets another plate, moves those out. And he just makes 30-second nuggets. And he's sitting down. And just a few minutes later, he's eating them. And he goes, oh, you're right. These are way better. <laughs> like, and that was like the whole encounter, like for him. And and what's funny about it, right, because I'm thinking about like spiritual maturity and all this kind of stuff this week as I was getting ready. And I thought for him, it was such a purity of heart, right? There was this sense of like there was no pride. There was no anger. There was no doubt in himself. There was no frustration. It wasn't failure. There was just this sense of like, I want chicken nuggets and you got a better way. So I'm going to do your way. Like it it was just that pure and simple. Like, and, and as I thought about that, like there's so much spiritual immaturity out there. And I thought, gosh, isn't that a glimpse of maturity out of a little nine-year-old boy? Right? For so much of us with the spiritual immaturity, it's like there's this quick anger that gets into petty arguments, right? Like everything in them, I feel like could have swelled up and been like, well, the microwave should tell me, or, well, you know, that should they should have sign on this nuggets that you only need 30 seconds. Like there, there was no blame. There was no nothing. It was just like, no, you're right. There's a better way. I'm gonna take it. Spiritual immaturity is marked by a difficulty to forgive the simplest of things in other people. Spiritual immaturity is marked by being unable to take even the smallest corrections. Spiritual immaturity is marked by an inability to speak the truth in love. Spiritual immaturity is marked by judging the poor more than serving the poor. Spiritual immaturity is marked by always thinking of ourselves. And sometimes it shows up in really funny, ironic ways. Because it's often the people who think they're the most spiritually mature that are the least. Isn't it? Like the ones who tell you how spiritually mature they are, are often the ones who are the most immature. Spiritual maturity is marked by speaking with all truth and no grace. But the flip side of that is spiritual maturity is also marked by speaking with all grace and no truth. So we talk a lot about spiritual immaturity, but there's also a lot of conversation about what spiritual maturity is. I love what Mark Batterson says. He says, to me, growing into spiritual maturity is becoming less self-conscious and more God-conscious. One of the truest tests of spiritual maturity is being able to see the miraculous in the midst of the monotonous. Being able to just see God in the midst of pumping gas. Being able to see where God is at work in the midst of another carpool that's way too early with traffic that's way too bad. Right? Like, Where is God in this monotonous? Sometimes we wrongfully equate maturity with age. They're like, just because we're older, we're wiser. Oswald Chambers says, spiritual maturity is not reached by the passing of years, but by the obedience to the will of God. And Maya Angelou, the poet, she talks about this really, really well. She says, most people don't grow up. Most people just get old. They find parking spaces, honor their credit card bills, get married, have some kids, and call that maturity. Nope. That's just getting old, right? Older doesn't always mean wiser. John Finley says maturity is the capacity to endure uncertainty. Another author says maturity is achieved when a person postpones immediate pleasures for long-term values. Richard Rohr says maturity is the ability to live joyfully in an imperfect world. But reading all these this week, the one that I kind of landed on that I like the most, that if somebody asked me what is spiritual maturity, I think this is what I'd probably say. And it's from an author named Henry Nowen. You'll see it up here on the screens. He says, spiritual maturity is not knowing what to do with your whole life, but just knowing what to do next. And so, isn't, that, isn't that the heart of it, right? They're like, what's the next right thing? And how can we lean into that? How can we live into that? And when we get enough in tune with the Spirit of God, when we pray, when we put ourselves in the Word of God and read the Scriptures, so that when situations and circumstances come, we can be confident about what that next right step is with God. Because most of us, if we look way back, right, where you are today, it wasn't even on your radar. I think about myself. When I was 22 years old, I'd never been in the South, wouldn't have known what state Auburn University was even in. And God used that place to give me my wife. At the age of 32, I had no idea about anything with the country of Uganda. And God called our family to adopt. And we're open to this whole new world and this whole new movement of God. And God uses that place to bless us with our daughter, Amelia. At 42, I didn't even know you could still have babies. (laughs) And God blessed us with another one. And so this illusion that we can have it all figured out is really arrogance. But is there this humility to say, okay, we're just going to faithfully trust the next right step with God. And now don't hear me say we don't plan, we don't be responsible, we don't get life insurance. Like, I'm not saying that, right? But there's this sense of when that becomes the idol, and that becomes what we follow instead of the Spirit of God, we can move into some immature places where everything becomes all about us. We're lying to ourselves if we think we're going to have it all figured out. And so here at Good News, we're a part of this Methodist Wesleyan tradition. And I mean, there's this guy named John Wesley who kind of birthed this movement of churches many, many years ago. And one of the things that was a real marked difference about Wesleyanism, right, this idea, this theology behind Wesley, the way he understood God was the way he understood grace. There's kind of these three big components that he would use, and I talk about these a lot, and I bet a lot of you have experienced these, and then even in some way, you kind of experienced them this morning already. And he said, when we relate with God, and when we talk about how we grow in relationship with God, the first encounter with God is often around what we would call prevenient grace. Okay, that word pre, like on the front of it, right? It's the grace before And even as we have this baptism this morning, right, there's this moment of like we see the grace of God in her life before she can even articulate that it's happening. And as we make videos of that and there's like programs of that, that she'll be able to go back years later and look at that and see that and say, wow, God was moving in my life before I could even move my lips. And for a lot of you, you have those prevenient grace stories. And maybe they're baptisms. Maybe they're instances where it was like the hardest thing you've ever been through in your life. And you hit rock bottom. And all of a sudden, you had to realize that this isn't like your world that everybody else is living in. But actually, there's something greater going on. And you stepped into a story that's already being told. And there's this, this shift of like, oh, it's not about me. Oh, there's like something bigger. And sometimes that's crisis. Sometimes that's people that God sends into our lives. People that are willing to speak truth and love to us when we're going sideways and get off the path that God would have for us. For some of us, it's like a natural revelation, right? You go stand on that beach and you watch one of those sunsets and you just look around and you're like, maybe there's more going on here than just my stress of like 98 traffic today. And we see that like there's more happening. There's this prevenient grace that God uses to draw us towards himself. The next piece of that is the saving, justifying grace, right? Where we say and we acknowledge, okay, like there's something happening here. There's more going on and I'm going to make this turn to say life is no longer about me and I'm going to receive the forgiveness for my sins that comes through Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection, and I'm going to step into that grace that has been given so freely to me and there's this turning, Right? There's this repentance, like we're going to go another way. Like it used to be all about my kingdom, and in light of all the things I've seen, the truth that I know to be true, there's this turn, and everything becomes about thy kingdom come. And it's no longer my kingdom come. Justifying grace, kind of the folksy definition says that justifying grace because of Jesus makes us just as if we've never sinned before God the Father. There's this cleansing that comes in that. There's this renewal, there's this change of heart, there's this turning And who we are that says it's no longer my kingdom, it's now thy kingdom. But then there's this sanctifying grace. It's this spiritually maturing grace. It's this grace that says once we make that turn, there's this shift where our lives over time begin to look more and more and more like Jesus Christ. And we begin to grow in love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. This fruit of the Spirit, it actually starts to grow in us. But for some of us, what starts to happen is that growth, like every year, like we're like an apple tree and we just grow apples about that big and then they fall off. And there's never this like maturing that takes place to where the fruit becomes ripe, the fruit becomes fruitful, the fruit begins to plant other fruit, the fruit begins to be beautiful and wonderful and good and life-giving. And we don't want to be stunted in that immature small tree that barely bears any fruit. But what we want to be is the people of God, is people who step into this growth, that step into this other way. Because when we're healthy, we grow, right? And there's a principle that maybe you've heard about that, right? Healthy things grow. But I'd take that just a step further, and you see this up here on the screen. It says healthy things grow, but growing things change, and change challenges us, and challenges are what cause us to put our trust in God. It's when we get to those places beyond what we can control, It gets into those places where it's more than what we know the answer to. It gets into those places where we have to believe and trust that God is actually going to be with us in this, that God is actually who God says God is, and that these scriptures that we build our lives on are actually true. And it takes us into this place of faith. So there's this book of James in the Bible. A lot of times we preach from one passage, we preach from the whole book of James. And we're just going to look at kind of a bunch of different things, because this book's really interesting. So it's written by James, who's the half-brother of Jesus. And James was kind of known as this like incredible, courage-filled, character-filled follower of Jesus. And that's hard if Jesus is your brother, right? But yet he sees it. He gets the reality of what's happening. And this letter that he writes, it's written to this first community of believers. It's written to like this, this first group of people that we would call the church. And they're trying to figure all this out and what it means. And they used to live life where like, you just hated your enemies. But now as a community, they're like, oh, we're supposed to love them. So what does that look like? Right? There used to be this sense of like we just got what we could get for ourselves. It was all my kingdom. And it was survival of the fittest, and like you just, you know, whatever. But now there's this sense that like we're actually supposed to like love our neighbor, and it isn't about like what I can get, but there's this transformation to like, what can I give? Like, oh, this grace that's been like freely given to us through Jesus' death and resurrection, like that means that like things are different now. So how do we live in light of that? And so James, he writes this letter to him, but James isn't really like a teacher. And um, I, I feel James a lot because it's not like he was, it, we don't get the sense that he like wrestled with all these questions and wrote like a lot of 45 page papers and books and things and like had like arguments about things. There's this sense that like, he was like, okay, I heard the sermon on the Mount. I read the book of Proverbs. Let's just talk about how to do this. And he goes out and he just lays it out. One of my professors in college, he called the book of James the two by four of the Bible. He's like, if you ever need to kind of just get knocked upside the head, like just go open this thing. And like all of a sudden you're like, oh, wow, this looks different if we're going to be the people of God. If we're really going to be maturing and growing and bearing fruit that looks different and each year we become more loving, we become more joyful, we become more patient, all those things. It means like we have to engage with this stuff. Like we have to live this out. And so James gives us all these different invitations into maturity. Some which you're going to be like, yeah, that's true. And some are going to feel a little bit countercultural. The first thing he says in James chapter 1, verse 2, he says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. This was new. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And there's this invitation to say like, hey, even in the hard, what's been intended for evil, God's going to use that and bring good from it. Can you believe that? Can you live like that is true? Can you consider it joy that God would use those difficult seasons to shape us and to form us? Chapter 2, verse 8, another mark of maturity. He's learning to see the sacred in others. He says, if you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing right. He says, that's maturity. There's another place in the Scriptures in the New Testament it talks about, it says, hey, if you just love everybody who thinks like you, looks like you, dresses like you, listens to the same bands as you, and cheers for Auburn, like, that's easy, right? But what about that person on the HOA, right? Like, what about... You know, that person in your kid's class who just seems to not parent. What about that kid who lives down the street who we know is the one that's causing all... You know, like, what about, that, what about that dude at work that you know is trying to rip you off? What about that person you just know they're... Like, what about those folks, right? And there's this invitation that says, like, hey, we can't see people as objects to get us what we want in our kingdom, but we need to be, see people as the sacred image bearers of God that they are, in His kingdom, and if it's about me, I treat them one way. But if it's really about this, we treat them differently. James chapter three told you. I'm going to go through the whole book. This is a fun one. It talks about mastering our mouth. It says when we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they're so large and driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, and hear this, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. For some of you, the most spiritually mature thing you could do is shut up. (laughs) And I get it, that's funny. But the flip side of that is for some of you, the most spiritually mature thing you could do is speak up. And there comes this ability to be able to discern, right, as we pray, as we dig into Scripture, as we deal with the real things of life. It's not that we have to have the whole plan figured out, but the real maturity comes in knowing what's the next right thing and having the courage to do it. In James chapter 4, he says uh, maturity, we'll talk about this in terms of No drama. It's kind of a rule in our family we say we just don't do it we just don't do it it's that simple when oh this person uh, we don't do that just don't do it and in James chapter 4 he says what causes fights and quarrels among you don't they come from your desires that battle within you and that desire that battles within us is this battle between my kingdom come and thy kingdom Do I want to get what I want to get when I want to get it right here, right now, that leads to quarreling, that leads to anxiety, that leads to I need to get justice. I need to make it right. I need to show them that I'm better. Or is this sense that we can say, like, justice is the Lord's, right? And we can step back and we can believe that God's going to work in situations and circumstances in ways that we could never understand. Save the best for last, James chapter 5, verse 7 and 8. Be patient then. Brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. There's this sense, right? In my kingdom, I want it right now. But in thy kingdom, there becomes this sense of patience. Let me just say this to you one more time. Spiritual maturity is not knowing what to do with your whole life, but just knowing what to do next. There's a lot of debate in i um, like theology circles, philosophy circles, even like sociology circles. About this debate between does right thinking lead to right action or is it more that right actions lead to right thinking? And I just find myself pretty firmly camped in camp number two. That right actions lead to right thinking. And I say that as somebody who teaches these scriptures. Who calls us into this other way because the things that we talk about, the things that Jesus talks about, the things that James is teaching, this first community of believers are so counter and so contrary to our flesh and what we want in the moment. And you get this, we can talk about loving our neighbors all day long. And we can say, we should love our neighbors. We should love our enemies. We should love those who've done wrong things against us, right? Like this central thing. And we can say that. We can know that. But I'm telling you, the minute you go to Publix and buy some flowers and a balloon and drop them on that jerk's porch and say a prayer of blessing over them, do you ever really understand what those words mean? We've got to live it. There's this sense of like, we we don't have to just know the whole plan, but we actually have to live and do the next right thing. And when we begin to live out these words, we begin to see, oh, that's really true. And when we talk about things like forgiveness, like we can talk about it all day long. But until you experience the freedom that comes from forgiving, you'll never get it. And when we do these things that seem so countercultural, so opposite of our flesh, when we actually live these things out, we start to find more and more belief in the words of these scriptures. And those next steps become simpler, clearer and easier, because we get it. We believe it, and we've seen that grace work in our lives. So we begin to see how these actions stir something in our souls that confirm the words in the way of Jesus, doing the next right thing. Sanctification, growth, spiritual maturity. And I believe when we begin to experience these things, we start to really live out the gospel. So I had this great encounter the other night, Friday night, that I thought was just such a glimpse into this. And it's kind of a challenge that I'm going to wrap up with you this morning. So we had this concert up here. It was this Southern Gospel group. They're just awesome folks, like incredible, talented singers. Such a fun night. And they're singing, and during one of the songs, this guy starts telling the story that he wrote a song about um, losing somebody near and dear to him and his family. And as he shared that story, he said God just kind of fell on him to write this song about, you know, loving those people that are with us because we don't know how long they're with us. And just kind of just, you know, just all that in that. And so one of the things he did, though, is after that song, he said, so what I want to challenge you with is not just hear that song. He said, what I want you to do is to actually just pull out your phones. And you don't have to do this right now. Don't worry. He said, I just want you to pull out your phones. He said, I want you to grab it. And he goes, I just want you to text somebody right now and tell them that you love them. And so, you know, everybody just kind of starts, oh, okay, you know, like <laughs> texting their wife next to them, you know, don't, don't want to like get too weird. Like, you know, they're just like, whatever. And so I'm standing out in the lobby and this guy comes up to me and he's talking. He goes, man, that text thing was good, wasn't it? And I was like, yeah, yeah, it was great. You know, just kind of thought it was like we were just chit-chatting. And then he goes, yeah, I sent mine to my dad. And I could tell that like, it got real, you know, like this wasn't just chit-chat in the lobby, like this was real stuff going on. I said, oh yeah, man. I said, tell me about that. I said, said, how'd it go? And he said, I don't really know. He goes, I'm not going to look at the answer until later tonight. And he said, we've we've had a hard time. We've been talking. He goes, "And I've just, I've been praying that God would give me an opportunity to open that door again. Right? So he's praying about And he says, and there's this, this little scripture he says, stumbled on. It says, as long, he says, live at peace with everyone as long as it depends on you. And he kind of said that back to me. I was like, man, he's like been in the word about this. And then this moment came, right? And he just knew that like God was calling him in that moment to be the right next response. And he doesn't know what the end goal is gonna look like. He doesn't know what the end relationship's gonna look like, all those things. He's like, I don't, I don't even wanna like see if he responded. He said, I just felt like that was my next right step right there. And I was like, good for you, man. And we just kind of, you know, said goodbye and just found myself just praying over the last couple days. The guy would like just do do something in that relationship. And so often I think we start to think about spiritual maturity you got to like come up here and sing a solo or you got to like, you know, preach a sermon or you got to go to Africa or you got to like do this stuff. But I'm telling you, man, that was spiritual maturity right there in action. That is someone who is more loving than they used to be. That's somebody who's more joyful than they used to be. And what triggers that, right, is spending some time with God and being real about the challenges in our life. It's about going to scripture and saying, hey, I need some direction here. And then when that moment comes, it's having the wisdom to respond. And so here's a challenge for you this week. I want you to name something that you're just wrestling with, a place you feel stuck, a place that you feel like maybe it's a situation, maybe it's just one of those fruit of the spirit that you're like, you know what, God, I just, I have no patience. God, I'm just angry. God, I have no joy. God, these neighbors, I just wish I could be kind and I just can't. I need you. And here's the deal, all right, a challenge for this week, so simple. This book of James, if you read it out loud, it's going to take 16 minutes. That challenge, you just name that issue, that you'd pray and say, God, just, just give me some wisdom here. And that you'd read that book of James with an open heart and maybe just pray a simple prayer that says, God, I'm inviting you into this mess. Read those words, and I believe that the Holy Spirit meets us in those places. And that you would just walk with eyes wide open for the next right step, and when it comes, that you'd have the courage to take it. Amen? So let's do that. 16 minutes. I think you can do it. You can even get away with listening to it on the app on your phone. All right? I'd rather, I think reading's better. So let's pray. Thanks for listening to the Sermon Audio Podcast. At Good News, we exist to help people build their lives on the reality of Jesus by pursuing God, building community, and living generously. For info on how to join our community, visit goodnewschurch.life.